My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I was leaving behind a, a, good, a good income, a secure job. Um, to go into an industry like mortgage broking where there's no ongoing salary, um, you start from scratch, it's took a leap of faith, but I'm glad I did. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. Taran Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with Loan Gallery Finance Mortgage Broker, Dara Cracknell, whose unique upbringing and property journey provides an insightful perspective into the risks that come with property investment and the importance of attention to detail. Cracknell has been a mortgage broker for 8 years after starting off in manufacturing and he shares with us how busy a day in the life of a mortgage broker can be. Previous to becoming a mortgage broker, I guess I was um, in manufacturing, was was doing that for a number of years, basically straight out of high school, um, was doing that for about 15 years um, and yeah, I guess the path that I went on was, you know, as in manufacturing, I started Purchased my first property in that role, in that job, and an investment as well. And I guess just a, the experience I had during that period sort of led me towards wanting to know more about uh, the property, the property industry, the property market, how that all works. So uh, I guess it, it piqued an interest. It made me realise that I had um, some interest in, in in this actual industry, and here I am today. <laughs> Every morning, well, after I drop off the kids to school and get them ready. Um, <laughs> is obviously just go through all the files that are that i'm working on so you know i'm preparing responding to emails um calling new leads uh, new prospects obviously calling existing customers as well that we're working on applications for and with um yeah preparing applications to submit to banks obviously there's, lo- there's communications um with, with lenders as well um obviously you need to communicate with them as you're working towards obtaining an approval for your customer so yeah, there's a lot of emails, a lot of communications, um, appointments as well with, with customers. So it's, it's a pretty full day. Um, it's not a typical nine to five job, that's for sure. So you've got to be flexible. You've got to be able to, um, I guess, have it, you know, part of your life, um, to, be, to be quite honest, from, from sunrise to sunset. And normally I'm home by dinner time and I'll, you know, have dinner with the family and, and spend, I've got a couple of young boys, so I'll spend, you know, um, some good time with them after dinner, 
and once they're off to bed, it's it's generally the best time to catch up on some work, to be honest with you. <laughs> sort of around that 8 to 9 o'clock p.m. afterwards time is, you know, the phone does tend to stop ringing, um, so there's, there's less distractions. Growing up in the Philippines, Cracknell's experiences from a young age gave him an open-minded worldview and an inherent sense of adaptability. I was born here in Australia in uh, Melbourne, pretty, Pasco Vale pretty much, but at a very young age, my mum's from the Philippines, so we moved over to the Philippines and I actually grew up and started schooling there. Um, and then we came back to Australia when I was probably in grade three or four as a young child, so English wasn't great back then, but <laughs> it was all good. Actually, yeah, the Filipino language was my first language that I learnt, so that was quite interesting. But yeah, we were sort of all over Melbourne, always been in Melbourne, um, from, I guess, more central uh, Melbourne to towards the end or towards a later period, to, towards my teenage years, we were, um, I guess, based in the western suburbs of, of Melbourne and that's where I did most of my high schooling. It's a completely different lifestyle and I think it, it helps to sort of um, keep an open mind to things. Um, you know, when, when you do have parents of different backgrounds and different nationalities um, and, yeah, it's, growing up in the Philippines was, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful place, you know. It's, um, you know it's, I remember just going out the back and by the river getting chased by water buffaloes and, and these sorts of things and just it's... <laughs> It's an adventure. It's it's not your typical Melbourne, um, <laughs> I guess, young as as you would experience here as a young person. So I, I got to experience both. So we probably just explored too far <laughs> beyond the safe the safe zone. And yeah, I just remember all of us just running, and I my, one of my shoes came off, and that slowed me down. And I guess that just got my heart racing even even faster. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was just it was just one of those things, you know. Back then, when we were kids, you, it's not like it is today. You just you just go out and explore. Um, yeah, in some sense, probably lucky to be alive. Wanting to retire in the Philippines, Cracknell's family moved there when he was young, but health complications brought him and his family back to Australia. My parents built a house in in Manila. Um, Las Piñas, uh, the smaller, I guess the smaller suburb or district was called, but it was in Manila, which is the main, um, the main island of the Philippines. So yeah, started, started my, I guess, early schooling there, which yeah, it was different. Um, get picked up by a bus and yeah, if you weren't behaving, you'd, you'd get a strap, that's for sure. So we had to make sure we we're on our best behavior. <laughs> but it's a great experience, Tyrone, you know, it's not something... I look back on and, and think that I wish I didn't go through that. I enjoyed every moment um, that I that I did um, and, and got to experience. So my dad was sort of he saw, he was sort of retired at that stage. Um, so he wanted to you know it's a beautiful life in the Philippines. Um, built a house there. My mum was originally from the Philippines as well. So. We lived there for a few years. Uh, we got to a point though where my dad started having heart problems. Um, and obviously the, the medical uh, side of things overseas is, is not the same as what it is here in Australia. So, um, so yeah, so that eventually led to, to us moving back here. So, Even though he was born in Australia, returning to Melbourne was quite a culture shock for Cracknell. It was a big change because as I, as I mentioned earlier, my first language was actually um, Tagalog, the, the Filipino language. And obviously I was speaking to my dad in English, but I really had that... Um, 
that that Filipino sort of um, slang in, in sort of in, in a lot of my pronunciations and I guess the way I spoke wasn't wasn't you know proper English so to speak. So it, it was you know confronting as a I think I might have been eight or nine years old when we moved back here. So you know going going to a primary school which was in Berwick at the time. Um, where there wasn't very many Asians or <laughs> people of, of, of different races, it was um, it was quite challenging. But yeah, I guess what what stuck with me was you know there was it didn't matter where I was when I was in the Philippines when I went to school there. They would call me the the white guy or the American, the Yankee. <laughs> and then when I come to Australia, that yeah, they would I, I wouldn't I thought I was actually coming home, coming to to where I belong. But even when I r- arrived here, it was sort of yeah, people were the kids were you know calling me like. Um, but they weren't being too mean, but it was sort of, you know, gave you the impression that at the time that you sort of kind of don't belong anywhere sort of thing. Um, I've gotten over that now, obviously, Tyrone. Um, <laughs> no, to me, and that's, I guess, what I was touching on before is I see it as an advantage to to be able to, you know, come from those two different backgrounds and not have such a, um, I guess, a closed-minded for a back of, lack of a better term, uh, view on things, to be quite honest with you. Family is a big thing for the Filipinos. Um, you know, it's all about family, really. <laughs> and, you know, it's with our family, we've got, we've got a huge, you know, I guess presence. Um, we've got th- two sisters um, here in Australia, another one in the Philippines, and, you know, they have their kids as well. So... You know, it's it's certainly huge for us, and particularly for my mum. You know, at the age that she's at, it's all about family and and getting together um, during those those important periods. So yeah, it's absolutely huge. Cracknell reflects on his schooling in Australia, explaining what led him down the path of manufacturing. With schooling, I didn't I didn't even complete high school to be quite honest with you. So. Um, it's not that I wasn't doing well with my grades. It just there was no, there was no push. There was no determination. I guess there was, you know, I was just doing school just just to be in school. I wasn't really, you know, aiming for much at that point in my life. To be quite honest with you, Tyrone. So, um, and it was around. It was seventeen when when my dad did pass away. Um, and at that stage, so with me being the youngest child, I just made the decision that, you know, I'd just go and go into the workforce at that point so I didn't do year 12 um, I guess from my mum's point of view as well I just wanted to just to give her that release that sort of pressure if, if there was any um, from her end being being a single mother at that point in time so um, but I mean academic academic wise it's not like I was doing bad um, I was always good I was always getting good marks with maths um, physics, those, those sorts of things. I was always doing well in those classes, but I wasn't, you know, excelling or anything like that. So, yeah, left school, um, did an apprenticeship. That's how I guess I got into the manufacturing industry. Um, and, yeah, I just, I guess I just got comfortable in, in that job. So I completed my apprenticeship. Um, was put in a managerial role pretty quickly after completing the the apprenticeship. So um, I was earning good income, um, you know, six-figure salary back then, which was great. And, you know, after doing a few tax returns, my accountant 
kept telling me that I needed to, um, you know, um, offset some of my taxes. And at the time, I didn't know what he was talking about, but obviously he was, he was sort of suggesting to invest in property and the rest of it. And that's, I guess, when I when I did purchase my first property, um, it's probably back in 2007. Um, I, I purchased a small unit out in the west in Truganina. And, you know, back then, Tyrone, I th- from memory, I think all that I needed to contribute was about eight thousand dollars, and I was able to buy this this unit, which was my first property. So it was much easier to get into the market back then. If you if you you know compare that to what first home buyers are faced with today, um, and then yeah, so I guess in, in manufacturing, bought a bought a block of land um, shortly after that. I suppose when I when I met my um, now wife, and we were looking at building hoping to to obviously build our first home um and yeah i guess some events <laughs> occurred there which it didn't pan out too well in the end and um and i was getting really like sort of stale i think it may be the word in terms of my my career path and where i was at so uh, it kind of led me to yeah um taking a bit of leap of leap of faith and jumping in a completely different career which at the time was extremely scary for sure you know i was, I was living behind a, a good a good income a, a secure job um to go into an industry like mortgage broking where you know you're not there's no there's no ongoing salary um you start from scratch it's took the leap of faith but i'm glad i did not feeling proud of his career in manufacturing after 15 years encouraged cracknell to take this leap of faith so the manufacturing was it was basically cast iron um so it was it, it was a, it's called a foundry so basically it, it's mol- we melt um metal and we pour it into dyes or casts and basically produce mainly material for for the mining industry such like augers or impactors um those sorts those sorts of things so yeah it wasn't a it wasn't a career that was very rewarding in terms of you know being able to <laughs> um one day tell your son hey um this is what i did for a job um it wasn't that that kind of thing but yeah as a production manager i guess it that that sort of wore me down as well that that was the man the the managerial position that i was in because it didn't really matter for me it didn't really matter how well or how well i performed or how hard i worked it was always you were copying it from all angles you were copying it from higher management you were copying it from customers if if you know if your products were were late not on time um and then you had to deal with the workers as well who you know who are generally lazy and you know try to get away from doing as little as possible so it wore me down quite quickly that role Coming up after the break, we'll talk more with Daryl Cracknell as we get stuck into his investment journey. It was something that a lot of my peers, a lot of people around me were doing. So, you know, people obviously that I work with, you know, they were buying their own properties. His key investment turning point when trying to build on a piece of land. So that was a tricky part. So, and this is why I sort of enjoy what I do today because it's it's closely linked to that. So the lessons he learned from the difficulties he experienced. I wouldn't say putting the deposit down was the worst experience. It was probably just the delays and just not knowing, um, you know, the ins and out of it. If if we had of, if I had of, had the knowledge that I have now about the property market, I probably would have, you know, made taken some different steps. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sharm, and you're listening to Property Investory. Thank you.
Hey there. Over the years, I've built up a portfolio of properties and it's been great to see capital growth. But the challenge I face is the passive income has been quite poor, providing a net return of 3 to 4% per annum. I'd have to buy at least 10 properties or more to generate $100,000 per year. Now, if I had the cash to buy these outright, which I didn't, then I need the help of banks and as they wouldn't lend me more, I was stuck. This is when I start looking into alternative investments where I could use my equity and cash to generate 25 to 30% per annum returns and fast track my passive income goal. In a short space of two years, I've been able to achieve this goal and have tripled my passive income instead. Now, if you want to learn more on how I did this, SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-31-32 and I'll send you a free report explaining how I did it. Cracknell's investment journey began in 2007 when he started investing as a means of reducing tax. I guess, you know, it was something that a lot of my peers, a lot of people around me were doing. So, you know, people obviously that I work with, you know, they were buying their own properties. Um, at the time, I think I was still living with my sister actually. So I did, you know, I didn't want to rent. Um, I needed to obviously wanted to buy my own place. And that was something as well as a child that growing up with parents who, I guess by the time we did come back from the Philippines, we were renting as well. So we were, you know, moving from all over the place, from one place to another. Um, and that was sort of something that I didn't want to, um, the sort of situation I didn't want to be in myself. So I guess, yeah, all those things led to that point. After this first experience, he wanted to build a forever home with his wife a few years later. But that experience was not as smooth as he hoped. So that was a tricky part. So. And this is why I sort of enjoy what I do today because it's it's closely linked to that. So, we we put a we went to a, a land you know these new estates where they're developing blocks of land. Um, we sat down with a sales consultant there, and you know they told us obviously about everything that's going on in the estate, what's happening, and we were excited. We wanted to you know we were looking forward to really building our own home. Um, we were told that the land would title so we could start building within three or four months that it'd be ready to go um so we were over the moon but after three months we were told that there'd be delays and we were told that again after six months then after 12 months then after 18 months then after 24 months there was still nothing yeah so that was at, at our point during that period of time it was it was quite devastating because it felt like your whole life was on hold. You couldn't do anything. Um, we we even went to the point of asking for our deposit back, pulling out of it. Little did we know, it's you know unconditional contract. Um, there's no there's no getting out of this. So we were stuck. We were stuck in that situation. And during that period, while we were waiting, um, my wife happened to get pregnant. So our whole life it just completely changed everything. And by the time the land actually titled, it was it was sort of just like my wife was off work, um, and it was sort of just like we just the I guess the the excitement was certainly long gone, um, and yeah, we we just we just felt deflated, and we just basically 
we settled on it on the end, but we didn't end up building. We just ended up um, having to let it go, to be honest with you, because of yeah, the circumstances that we were in at that point in time. We sold it for the same price, um, but it was probably two or three years after we sold it is when the things, when the prices popped up exactly. <laughs> Sometimes you, you learn these lessons the hard way. After learning these lessons and working hard to rebuild back to the point of being able to invest, Cracknell is looking to the future. The property that we're living in now, um, we, we've obviously, it, it's taken a while for me to be in a position to, to invest again and to purchase property. Obviously, um, you know, with the career change and all in there. Um, so, we've purchased our property two probably it was nearly two years ago now, I think. Um, and actually one of the properties that i did have that unit i just just sold as well just recently so i guess i'm, I'm clearing the decks now and I'm, I'm ready to actually start um i'm going to be in the market basically to start my uh property portfolio once again i wouldn't say putting the deposit down was the worst experience it was probably just the delays and just not knowing um you know the ins and out of it if if we had of if i had of had the knowledge that I have now about the property market, I probably would have, you know, made taken some different steps. But um, you know, if I held on to that land, if I did, you know, just just build on it later on, then it could be a different story. But yeah, it's just I guess just that there's no guidance, I guess, from from any like we didn't have any connections with any experts in the industry both my parents and, and my wife's parents you know didn't weren't really investors they had their own property and they paid off you know their own mortgage you know the old-fashioned way um pay off your own home and then you'll retire comfortably that sort of thing so there wasn't a lot of you know advice or or guidance that we had received but it is what it is so what would he have done differently if he had the knowledge he has now on the land side of things, I'd look into the the actual you know estimate when they actually when they give estimate of an estimate of titles, I should say, when they expect the land to title, I'd, I'd be looking into that uh, much more closely. I would get a conveyancer to to check the contract for me before signing an unconditional contract. Um, you know, in, in those circumstances. You sort of hope that the the salesperson would tell you these things, but you know it's it's not how it works, unfortunately. So, um, so yeah, I guess it's just doing more due diligence. You know, I understand particularly. I mean, I wasn't a first home buyer, but for my wife, it was, and it was the first time that I was building a home. Um, there's a lot of excitement attached to that, obviously, and it's easy to overlook um, these these very important things. And a lot of people, such as us at the time aren't even aware that of these important steps um, that you should be taking. So, so yeah, that's probably what I'd, what I'd do differently, Tyrone, is just, yeah, conduct more due diligence. Throughout his unique journey, Daryl Cracknell learned a great many lessons and he applies these in mortgage broking, which we'll see in our next episode. When I got to the point where I was just like talking to people as a person rather than as a mortgage broker trying to win their business, just being real to a person, 
his time working in selling investment properties. It was sort of a dual role. You were, you were sort of, you were a mortgage broker, but you were mainly what you were doing is you were selling investment properties um, to people. Helping people achieve their own property goals. And I just enjoyed the, the mortgage broking side of things much more because, you know, you just feel like that you're, you know, rather than trying to sell something to someone, you're actually on their side and you're actually trying to help them out. And that will be featured on a future episode of Property Investory. Thanks for listening. If you love the show and you're a wholesale investor wanting to learn more about how I got started in alternative investments, where I've been able to use my equity and cash to generate 25 to 30% per annum returns to fast track my passive income goal, then SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-3132 to register your interest. Now, in a short space of two years, I've been able to achieve my goal and have tripled my passive income. To find out how, SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-3132. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.